Hi, my name is Amani, and you're listening to Raise Your Words. On this podcast, I will be talking to authors, influencers, and friends about books, movies, and shows, and get their input on what they think about it. I will also be talking a lot about pop culture references, as well as interviewing authors like Priyanka Taslim, who is the author of The Love Match, interviewing Anika Sharma, who I have already interviewed in season one. And in season two, I have a lot of very exciting guests that I am thrilled to bring on the show, on the podcast that you're listening to right now. Stay tuned for more. Iman Hariri Kia is a writer, editor, and author born and raised in New York City, a 2017 recipient of the Annabelle Bonner Medal and a nationally acclaimed journalist. She covers sex, relationships, identity, and adolescence. Her work has appeared in Vogue, Teen Vogue, Cosmo, Nylon, Bustle, and more. Her debut novel, A Hundred Other Girls, was named Barnes & Noble's August Fiction Pick, as well as one of the best books of the summer by Good Morning America, USA Today, Apple Books, and more. You can often find her writing about her personal life on the internet, much to her parents' dismay. Hi, Ren, and welcome to Raise Your Words. Can you please introduce yourself for my listeners who might not know who you are? Thank you so much for having me. Uh, my name is Iman Ririkia. I'm a writer, editor, and the author of 100 Other Girls, which came out this summer. I absolutely loved 100 Other Girls. And one of the things I really wanted to know is more about your writing routine. What is it like when you're on a deadline? I am a creature of habit and I feel very, very, um, I feel very, very constricted when I have too much free time and spontaneity and sort of like a chaotic um, day-to-day work environment. So I am a lover of scheduling. I am a lover of word count goals. Um, I, whenever I have to write on a deadline or edit on a deadline, I basically take the amount of words that I have to write or edit or chapters that I have to write or edit. And I create a schedule for myself and give myself smaller benchmarks to meet. So maybe each day I need to write a certain amount or each week I need to finish a certain amount of chapters. And I try very hard not to deviate from that schedule. I almost pretend like there's a principal that's going to send me to their office or, you know, like a boss that's going to put me on a pit because um, I think that it's very difficult when you work for yourself to sort of escape those types of deadlines. But without structure, I feel like 
the entire castle crumbles for me. So um, I like to definitely create some sort of regiment for myself. Um, and then besides that, I'm a huge fan of writing at night, um, in the morning, whenever my inhibitions are kind of lower and down. Um, I often find that when I sit down to write um, with like a lofty goal in mind or even like a outline of the chapter I'm going to write, I feel a lot more pressure and overthink what I do. But when my inhibitions are down and I just let the words kind of flow, um, I find that it's a lot easier for me to write and meet my goals. And then when I'm revising or when I'm editing, um, I give myself time to go back and sort of strengthen character arcs and um, really define those relationships and fix plot holes. So yeah, those are my two tips are always stick to a schedule, make a schedule and stick to it and write when there's less pressure. So would you say that your books are more character driven first or plot driven um yeah I mean that's a great question it's funny because I immediately my first instinct was to say character driven um because I do a lot of work uh developing the characters um even secondary tertiary characters to have their own sort of arcs um to have their own character motivations um and almost like separate outside of when they cross paths with my MC. Uh, and I really do take pride in that. But I, I think anyone that's read 100 Other Girls knows that it is kind of a, a novel where the, the plot is um, a little bit ballsy and um, very provocative at certain times. And when I was thinking about my upcoming projects, again, the first the first uh, you know thing that came to mind for me was, oh, it's a character-driven novel. But that, the blogs that I'm working on now are even more absurd than 100 other girls. So it's tough to say. I, I mean, I, I would probably say they're plot-driven novels with really uh, wonderfully defined, relatable characters. I hope so, at the very least. <laughs> I love that. And how many drafts did you write? And what was the final word count for 100 other girls? Oh my gosh. I don't know how many, oh my, well, I wrote one draft by myself. Um, and then I did a revision by myself. Um, then I gave it to beta readers to read and then another revision. So that's three. Um, I queried agent, signed with my agent, did another revision with her for, um, and then I edited it, I did two big revisions with my editor, the five and six. But then again, it's, you know, I, well, I feel like uh, readers might not know how many people touch a manuscript before it goes to pub. Um, my book has been copy edited. It's been sensitivity read. Um, so I would estimate that this might be maybe the eighth to 10th like official draft of 100 other girls and I still read it and catch things and think oh gosh I wish I could change this or I read things and think oh if I were to write this in 2022 I would have done it differently so truly I mean I really feel like if you're a writer and especially if you're a perfectionist it never feels like it's time to let go um but uh the word count I don't know exactly, but it's around 80,000 words, which was my original goal um, for the novel, because that's sort of the comp length to most of the novels in my genre. Um, and uh, I know that it fluctuated between drafts, 
never really exceeding the 90,000 word mark. So I think it probably landed around like between 80 and and 90,000, maybe like 85,000 words. That's amazing. And a very hefty book too, right? (laughs) But I honestly, I love how the characters are so well-crafted as well as they're all very well-developed, which is incredible uh, considering how long the book is. And one of the things I wanted to know is if you could use three adjectives to describe Nora, what would they be? Oh my gosh. I love this question. Um, Nora is like a character so near and dear to my heart. Like I love to hate her and hate to love her. She infuriates me and endears herself to me. Um, but I would say passionate, chaotic, and hilarious. <laughs> That's Nora. Passionate, chaotic, and hilarious. She's so misguided at certain times, but her heart is always in the right place. Oh, that, yeah, that pretty much sounds like her. What would your three words be? I'm curious. I feel like she is very loyal to those who she cares a lot about. She's very creative in terms of her job and just how she is. I would also say she's very stubborn. <laughs> so stubborn that would be something. I feel like that is another adjective that I would use to describe Nora. Yeah, I think that that is a perfect summary. <laughs> I think she's very, very loyal, sometimes to a fault, um, because it it holds her back from seeing people, you know, as seeing the whole picture. She's so focused on the details because of her loyalty. Um, I think that her stubbornness is related to that last sentence about her loyalty. And I agree. Creative and passionate are two words that definitely come to mind um, when I think about it. What was the craziest thing you've ever done while doing research for a hundred other girls? Um, I mean, so many of the descriptions of New York are incredibly vivid and feel very tangible. And that's because, um, I did a lot of traveling to different parts of the city and studying the neighborhoods, um, sitting at cafes and writing about exactly what I saw, um, basically like stalking passerby. Well, not actually stalking, please don't come for me. But like so many of the descriptions from the book are inspired by real people that I, you know, sort of saw in their natural habitat or, um, you know, locals that I came into contact with. So I would say probably just like following people and trying to capture them on paper, um, like truly doing my best to like go and look at buildings and Googling random words to try to figure out like what you could call different pieces of the building. Cause like, I don't know anything really about, um, like construction, (laughs) um, I did a lot of research um, for my writing about New York. Um, and then ultimately, when it came to you know, writing about media, so much of uh, what I drew from was firsthand knowledge and experience. Um, I talked to a lot of my friends who worked in the industry, old coworkers. And then, you know, there was some industry news that I pulled from um, and just sort of internal gossip. But a lot of that the um, dynamics in the book are sort of inspired by uh, real life events. And uh, that was a very different kind of of research. Uh, But I definitely think I would call it as as absurd as 
some of the New York people watching research that I did. That is amazing. And honestly, it's really great to see that like New York inspired so much, especially since it is set in New York and seeing all the places that Nora goes to and just the stuff she deals with at her job with the print versus digital aspects that was really intense and also just something that I really loved seeing it brought more depth to the story which I thought was really well done thank you so much yeah I I, you know I was born and grew up in New York I live here still and I always think about the city as its own entity like it's its own character it's its own organism you know it asks for nothing and gives everything in return. And I really wanted to capture that energy and also introduce um, readers to a version of New York that maybe they weren't as familiar with from other popular texts about New York. And what inspired you to include Layla, Dora's sister? Oh my gosh. Well, I'm a huge fan fan of like found family um I love reading about uh, special relationships and friends and coworkers in books and the small little units that they create and how intimate and trustworthy these you know they become sort of like inner circles and I, I love that trope um I particularly wanted to write about a sibling relationship for a couple of different reasons. Um, a big one being that I think that when you're a first generation American, there are very few people that can understand what you go through in the day to day the way that a sibling can, even if they don't always agree with your decisions or have the same likes and dislikes as you. They understand what it's like to be fractured in the way that you're fractured in. They understand what it's like to have a foot in the two different worlds that you have a foot in. And so I think that in the end of the day, there's nobody who can give you that sort of unconditional love the way that a sibling can, as well as unconditional understanding and empathy. And um, that was huge for me. Um, That's partially one of the reasons why I decided not to really have Laura's parents play a huge role in the book even though I'm very close to my parents um, because I wanted to sort of underline that unspoken empathy, understanding connection between the two sisters. And then the other big reason is that I am an older sister. I am, I guess, the Layla in in my own relationship. I have a sister who's four years younger than me. um, And I uh, come from like a matriarchy. You know, all my parents both have sisters. Um, My mom is one of three. My dad has the sister. They have girls. Um, You know, my grandmother on my father's side was one of eight sisters. So um, I've always been very, uh, you know, I've been drawn to sister relationships and uh, I'm just obsessed. I literally have my sister on the wall right now how obsessed I am with her and um she has always been the number one person to call me on my bullshit but then come running when I call her with my problems and I wanted to sort of capture that kind of you know that kind of uh electricity um between two people uh through Layla and Nora and I hope I hope I did so successfully (laughs) I liked it, especially like in that opening scene. I mean, I don't want to give away spoilers for those who haven't read the book, but there is a description in the opening scene when she's worried about whether or not she'll get the job. And so I loved seeing how Layla kind of played a role in how who she was kind of considering and what her mentality was when she was 
even considering whether or not she wanted the job in the first place. I thought that was really well done. I love that you said that. I really think that Layla is one of the only people that keeps Nora in check as she sort of flip-flops between which team to side with and sort of reminds her of her own goals and ethics and her sort of loyalty to the reader. Um, And I think in that way, Layla is all of us, right? When we're sort of reading the book, we can see things at times so much clearer than Nora can. Um, And Layla sort of acts as the voice of reason, which is hilarious because, you know, Layla is so unpredictable in her own personal life and so messy in her own personal life. But she really she really calls um, Nora out and um, keeps reminding her of why she got into the industry in the first place. So. I think we can all, everybody needs, everybody needs a Layla is what I always say. Like she's my comfort character. I hope she can be other people's. She's the voice of reason. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Which Taylor Swift song and era best describes Nora? Okay. So I thought about this a lot um, because I think that there are sort of three versions of Nora throughout the book. Um, One is sort of doe-eyed and has her rose-colored glasses on and is so excited about making a potential impact at final. Um, The middle one is sort of, you know, doing some shady shit. (laughs) And the third one is, um, I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but sort of more at peace with who she is and how things are. And so here's here's my take. I think that at the beginning of the the novel, Nora is in her... um, uh, 1989 uh, era and then I think that in the midpoint in the middle of the novel sort of at the climax she's very much in her reputation era and then she ends the novel in her uh, lover era I think that like when the when the book ends and Nora is again no spoilers I don't think this will spoil anything is sort of like walking home and describing what she sees and sort of like feeling a little bit more at peace with her decision, I can hear daylight playing in the background. Like I can hear daylight like blasting out of the speakers. So um, that's my, that's my answer for you. 1989 to reputation to lover. (laughs) That honestly describes her very well, especially like with all the stuff that she goes through in the beginning and then where she is at that in the book too. Yeah. I feel like that, yeah, there's no better way to describe that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Although if midnight, when midnight comes out, perhaps you will think differently about that. <laughs> no, I need to write a new character for midnight. I already like think, I, I mean, I don't want to predict what our Lord and Savior Taylor Swift is going to do or write, but just based on the premise, I think that my next MC, I think that she might be a midnight girly, but we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> So if you got to pick an like a song to describe this episode or to describe your book, would you want me to include Daylights in it? Yeah, sure. I mean, but you have to emphasize the end of the book um, because it's definitely like, it's totally, I think that beginning of the book, Nora, is Welcome to New York, Nora. Midpoint, Nora, is I Did Something Bad, Nora. And end of the book, Nora, is Daylight, Nora. So those are the three the three songs I would choose if we're getting specific. You, I really thought about this question because I was like, oh gosh, like you know, she isn't innocent enough for anything pre 
like red era but red era is red like red's too comfort for Nora Nora's like enters sort of like she's like on one in the same way the 1989 is when she starts the book so sorry I'm like ranting but I like I truly woke up thinking about this so Uh, so this next question, and then right after we'll hop back into the... Oh, group. gosh. That went by so um, fast. Yeah, I think it's like, because it does it 4.30 to like 5, and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so even though you're writing rep based on your ethnicity, did you ever have any concerns about writing Middle Eastern rep? Well, yeah. Um, I didn't want to write a character that was symbolic of the Middle Eastern experience, because I think one, depending on where you're from, you know, who you and how you identify culturally, where your family was raised, you know, like even within Iran, for example, there are many different types of Iranian people who come from different, like, you know, you've, you, there, there, you have so many different experiences. And I hated the idea of writing a monolith and um, like a symbol for Middle Eastern suffering. And that was, I wanted to avoid that at all costs. Um, To me, that's like tokenization. And I wanted to write a character that was representative of my own experience, but also, you know, complicated and complex and morally gray and messy. Um, So that was in the back of my mind is, you know, I didn't want um, people to go and thinking, oh, this character is all of us, because ultimately, I think everyone, you know, regardless of who they are, can sort of see pieces of themselves in Nora. And God, I hate when um, people of color, all marginalized people are expected to sort of like become a spokesperson for the trauma of their racial or cultural group. So that was sort of in the back of my mind of how can I avoid tokenizing my main character and how can I write something that's actually representative so that was the back of my mind for sure and then also I was I was very worried um that people wouldn't want to publish the book um publishing is a very white straight cis industry um and then past that I, I thought to myself you know if it does get published Will people see it as existing in a niche? Like so many books by people of color, incredible books by people of color, don't get the marketing support, don't get big money put behind them, don't get large advances. And I was really concerned that, oh, I'm going to get pigeonholed as um, someone that's writing diverse books for diverse readers. And then, you know, I'm not going to get monetary support, which is a real issue. Um, Publishing is you know, there's a lot of systemic issues in publishing. Um, And, uh, you know, my, uh, I I don't know if I can say my peer, you know, an author that I love who I've become friendly with, Anisha Sharma, speaks really eloquently about this. And um, I always think about her when I think about um, the ways in which um, really successful, incredible, you know, popular authors can even be held back by the type of quote, quote, diverse content they write. Um, So those were the two things in the back of my mind. One was, you know, I want to write a character that feels real and true and complicated. Um, How do I avoid writing a Middle Eastern book, you know, um, that feels tokenizing? One. And the second was, if I'm going to include not only a Middle Eastern MC, but, you know, 
a cast of characters full of like diverse and marginalized characters. How do I sort of pitch this book for a mainstream audience? Um, and how do I convince a industry that is just historically and systemically a little bit oppressive to consider a book full of um, diverse people to be mainstream and accessible. So those were the two sort of like the angel and the devil on my shoulders, so to speak. Yeah, you said it beautifully again. And it's just one of those things that it's really hard to get the right type of rep, especially because you can't really say, oh, this is rep for everyone when it's like, you know, everyone. it's, it's not a monolith. Like people are of all sorts of, you know, backgrounds and a lot of people who are from the same ethnicity might not have the same experiences and that's totally fine I think it's just more of like when will be I guess okay to let people kind of exist in their own spaces and have more diverse books so hopefully it's a step towards the right like right direction um but yeah, I really like one of the things I really liked about 100 Other Girls was the fact that, it, you know, it starred Nora and she deals with Islamophobia and she deals with a lot of different things, which I've never seen done in a Devil Wears Prada retelling. So I really liked how you upgraded that. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it was my hope that it was my hope that you would experience life through the eyes of someone who is Middle Eastern and the things that they have to deal with in their day-to-days, such as xenophobia and racism and microaggressions, because that's a reality for anyone who's Middle Eastern in America. Um, You know, that's not an event. That's just a part of day-to-day life. But I didn't want the plot to move because of her race and identity. Um, You know, I didn't want the story to exploit her. And I think that that the book effectively is able to have anyone who hopefully is Middle Eastern sort of see some of the things that they experience day to day in Nora, but still sort of see her as like a singular character and also allow, you know, any white readers who are reading to empathize with her or sympathize with her, sorry. but also feel drawn in by the, by the story. Um, so that, you know, that was my, that was my goal. Um, and, you know, I, I think that Nora is constantly trying to figure out the difference between tokenization and representation. And sometimes you have to pick between the lesser of two evils. And I think that what's exciting about this, is that the reader has a parallel journey, you know, she's also navigating the difference or, they are navigating the friends as they read. So I think that that's really cool. And, um, you know, something I would love to read more of um, in new adult fiction. Yeah. And on that note, we're going to leave a, a Zoom call and hop back in. <laughs> okay. See you in a second. All right. Bye. Bye. Okay. So one of the things I really liked is how ethnicity and culture plays a really big role in your books. And part of that is that you dress your characters so well in this, especially in the era. Um, fashion plays a huge role in a hundred other girls. What are some of your favorite brands? Thank you so much for saying that. Um, I definitely tried really hard to pay attention to conveying certain things about certain characters through their dress. Um, I've always found, sorry, the cars are honking so loud. That's New York. 
Um, I've always found personal style to be such a wonderful avenue to grounding yourself in the community or a larger cultural tapestry, as well as signaling to others, you know, how you feel about yourself. Um, and I think that Nora definitely does that through her clothes. I think Layla does that through her clothes. I think that, um, Saffron does that through their clothes and um, definitely Loretta, um, Jade, everyone sort of has their own personal style um, that sort of speaks for them when they are unable to speak for themselves. Uh, I am a huge fan of thrifting, similarly to uh, Nora, and I love shopping consignment. Um, that said, I've been doing a lot of championing of Middle Eastern designers lately. I'm speaking a lot about how you can support different Middle Eastern designers and artists um, through making even small purchases that can help to boost their brand. So got to throw it out there. Um, you know, Mariam uh, Nasir Zadeh is fantastic. Obviously, um, like a trailblazer when it comes to modernist organic constructional clothing. Um, Dorian, who is a Canadian-based designer, who I think is fabulous. Um, Zain Nath is, um, you know, based in Iran and creates these gorgeous handmade sort of like kaftan-style robes. Um, Sonia Asamani makes handmade stitched caps that are, you know, one of a kind. Uh, I'm trying my best to, when I do have... Uh, I guess the money to spend or indulge on new clothes. Um, you know, I can't always go this route, but when I can, I try my best to sort of put it back into the community and pay it forward. Do you have any favorite outfits that you are wore in the book? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, well, I love her, the dress that she wears to slay, uh, vinyl slays, that is the colors of the Iranian flag and each color represents something else. And, you know, it's sort of like it's form-fitting and regal. And I think it sets her up as like a queen entering the event. And I love to picture her um, like that, sort of like, you know, strutting into the event, wearing the colors of her country, feeling rooted to her culture, and then having, you know, <laughs> having Layla next to her, like, tits up in her, like, sexy, <laughs> her sexy outfit, just, like, oozes sensuality. Um, I love those two, and I love how different they are, and how much they complement each other, so that dress, for sure, um, sticks out in my mind, and then, um, I guess her interview outfit, um, really, really um, was important to me. Nailing sort of the mix of the high end and low end and the DIY and the craftiness. Um, I love that she tie dyed her like discolored slip. That was actually inspired by my friend uh, Ruby Redstone, who is a fashion historian. And um, she thrifted like a Victorian white blouse and tie dyed it in her bathtub. And I saw that and I thought, that's what Nora would do. Um, I love that she's rocking the cowboy boots and the tiny mules, the kitten mules that got stuck in the cobblestone street, very much inspired by my own shoes getting stuck in the cobblestone streets. Um, I love that she's a fan of like the oversized jacket, you know, the juxtaposition of something like thin and slinky and something large and structural. Um, I love to think about how she would go about mixing masculine and feminine silhouettes. Um, and I think the first, the interview outfit was very important to me because I still remember 
doubted that I wore um, to my first ever industry interview, um, which was also for an interview for an assistant position. And I was wearing um, white jeans, a white shirt, um, a thrifted uh, like white satin jacket with patches all over it, red, like uh, red booties <laughs> um, and my glasses. And I remember I, it took me so long to decide what I was going to wear. Like, do I want to go business casual? Do I want to dress up, dress down? And I just ended up wearing something that made me feel like me and made me feel confident. And to, you know, the entire time I worked that job, my boss would sort of call back to the outfit. Like, I remember when he walked in wearing this, um, the girl who trained me is now one of my best friends remembers that outfit too. And I think first impressions, you know, it's, that was the first impression that vinyl left on Nora was important. And the first impression Nora left on vinyl was equally as important. So long answer, but those are the two outfits that were the most important to me personally. Oh, that, those were honestly some of my favorite outfits from the book, especially the interview outfit. I feel like it's always fun to see what other people wear for their job interviews. Cause some people like to, I guess, dress in a way that makes them stand out and some people like to stick to what they know totally. so that and that is also kind of a reflection on what the person is like like if you like to wear black and white you like to kind of play it safe and that is very much a, its own personality whereas if you're a character who likes to kind of play with color you are a lot more outgoing and it shows <laughs> Thank you. Well, I, I, that's exactly how I thought about it is, you know, what do we signal to people before we open our mouths and what would Nora want to signal to the people interviewing her? Um, the last anecdote I'll say is when I interviewed for my job, um, staff writer at Bustle, I wore a yellow turtleneck sneakers and a suit, like a matching suit, um, like a plaid suit. And I, thought like I looked like the shit and I walked into this interview and both the people interviewing me were in like workout clothes um and I was so unbelievably overdressed and um they too for the entire time I worked for that company years um I you know remained in contact and had a relationship with the two people that interviewed me and they'd be like you walked in in that suit and we were like what you know, it really, it sends a message. So I wanted Nora to send her own message about who, who she is too. That, yeah, I feel like yellow is one of those colors that's just hard to forget. Yep. 100%. You, you know, you see it with the sunglasses on, you see it with the blinders on, it shines bright. A <laughs> Hundred Other Girls is one of those books that it's just so incredibly funny. And do you have any writing advice for those who want to include humor and pop culture references in their books. Oh my gosh. Um, well, thank you. That means a lot to me. Um, it's so funny because a lot of, of the humor in the book is, you know, satire and sarcasm. And um, my now fiance, he read the first ever draft of the book and did not get a single one of these jokes because he, you know, he doesn't work in the industry and knows nothing about like pop culture. So, so much of it went over his head and he still really enjoyed it, but like just didn't think it was as funny as I thought it was writing it. And then the first time he ever heard me read from the book, I read the first chapter 
And I read it the way that I hear it in my head. And he came up to me and he was like, oh my God, this book is really funny. Like the whole thing, it's all, it's a joke. And I was like, yes, of course. Like, I can't believe you took all the interactions that happen when Norris is meeting the digital team at face value. Like so much of that to me is just so hilarious, Um, which leads me to my piece of advice, which is when you're writing humor into books, write situational humor. Don't write jokes. Don't, don't write one-liners. Don't write, you know, you're not doing stand-up. I would sort of like lean away from the punniness and lead towards creating sort of hilarious situational tension um, that, you know, you, you can't help but laugh because you have to relieve the tension. And I did, I, I, you know, I tried my best to do that um, by creating sort of you know, different scenarios in which Nora was in impossible positions and had to behave in the most hilarious way possible. Um, So I would say do your best to create situational humor and humor is like, you know, all kinds of writing, do your best to show why something is funny rather than telling the readers why it's funny. Um, And in terms of pop culture references, um, I, you know, Pop culture references are very, very divisive in the book community. Um, Some people love them, some people hate them. Um, I think that when they're done well, they really, really enhance um, how rooted a reader can feel in the story and how contemporary it can feel. Um, You know, Princess Diaries by Meg Cabot is, you know, always my go-to when I'm thinking about pop culture references done right. I learned about being in a a teenager in America from my Cabot. I learned about Buffy the Vampire Slayer and, you know, Xena Warrior Princess and Star Wars and Lifetime movies. I learned about all of this from reading my Cabot books. And I wanted to create a similar effect. Um, I wanted people to be able to self-insert into Nora by knowing what she's thinking and who she's reading and what she's listening to and what she's watching. Um, and I, I guess... I never foresaw when writing it how quickly the references would outdate themselves. You know, I wrote my first draft pre-pandemic. Can you imagine how much I had to change after the pandemic, um, how much changed culturally? Um, So I would say uh, when you're writing pop culture references into a book, do your best to make sure that when they're included, they serve a purpose and they actually, you know, do something to either move the plot along or to help you learn something about the character and they're not just gratuitous. Um, and also don't be surprised if you have to constantly be updating them as you write, um, because that's sort of an issue that I didn't really foresee being as large of a problem as it ended up being, but it all paid off in the end because I am really happy with how the pop culture references uh, ended up in the final draft. I can imagine, especially with so many like new, like with Twitter being so big these days and people finding out that their old favorites are now problematic and all that kind of gives you a bit of a whiplash as a writer because you're like, oh, anything can change within a month, two months, a year. Well, a great example of this is, um, you know, in my original draft of 100 Other Girls, the scene where Nora is tasked with getting Sandy Liang on the phone um, for Loretta during New York Fashion Week. That was originally going to be Alexander Wang. And I wrote the scene almost verbatim as is, 
And then when it came out, all the, all the, you know, the sexual abuse allegations came out about Alexander Wang and the way that he treats male models. You know, I turned to my editor, I was like, no way is this, is this man going to be in my book? No way is he going to grace the pages? Um, so that's a great example of how could I have, you know, I had no idea that though that would come out and I had to act quickly and do my best to sort of like preserve the integrity of the book. So that, that is those little things that you just, you never really know, or there's a sort of, um, funny one-liner, sorry, there's a fly here. funny one-liner about, um, sort of like mocking, uh, Halloween costumes and how, um, inappropriate and appropriative, Halloween costumes have gotten. And there's a line about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You know, I wrote that before she passed away. Um, so we had to have a conversation about, is this still appropriate to include now that RBG is no longer with us? So little things like that, you, you never think about them um, beforehand, but you have to just do your best to sort of like keep up with the cultural zeitgeist and, uh, you know, just make the best decision you can and act with integrity. That's what I try to do. Yeah, no, that's honestly the best way you can possibly do it is to try to catch them before, mm-hmm. if possible. And then if it's already out, <laughs> there's really nothing you can do. Do your best. Always do your best. That's what Nora is trying to do. Just do her best. <laughs> that is so true. What are you currently or recently uh, reading, watching, and listening to? And this could be like a podcast, music, audiobook, whichever. Reading, watching, and listening to. Okay. I am... So I just finished reading The Bodyguard um, by Catherine Center and The Worst Best Man by Mia Sosa, both rom-coms. One is a... Um, like famous actor bodyguard rom-com that I would recommend for fans of The Proposal and, or not The Proposal, sorry, um, the other Sandra Bullock film, Miss Congeniality. Miss Congeniality and um, Funny You Should Ask and Nora goes off script because you've got like the hot actor and the regular person trope, but you also have the, the falls in love with their bodyguard, but the bodyguard's a woman. It's just, it's, it was very cute. Um, Worst Best Man, um, which was a, uh, it wasn't what I expected. I thought it would be more centered around a wedding, but it was actually about a wedding planner. So it was giving me like, uh, you know, J-Lo vibes. Um, but that was also really good um, and cute. But I am currently reading um, uh, gosh, sorry, what is it called? I just started Detransition Baby um, by Joy Peters. And that so far has been really good. And I think that after sort of reading a couple of rom-coms, I'm in the mood for something a little bit meatier. So um, looking forward to reading this. Um, and then got my TBR. I, I'm I'm trying to decide if I want to give Carrie Soto a try and formulate my own opinion on it. Um, Or I might just throw caution to the wind and buy the entire Twisted series um, because everyone keeps recommending it. I'm actually going to recommend the Twisted series to you. You're you're not going to? No, I was going to recommend the Twisted series. 
Uh, because Twisted Games is essentially Princess Diaries, but if it's like for an older version, right. um, it's a little bit darker. I will say that. So if you're into like, you know, the dark romance, you'll love it. The bodyguard princess, you know, romance. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and she's the princess of a small country. So, you know, very Princess Diaries-esque. So okay. highly yeah. recommend. <laughs> So should I go straight to Twisted Games or should I read all four books in order? So while you could do that, I feel like you get more out of it if you start from Twisted Love. Okay. Um, Because I was initially, I got an arc for one of the books. It was Twisted Hate. Mm -hmm. So I read that and then I was like, okay, I feel like I'm missing a huge part of the story here. So I read the other two and then I reread Twisted Hate. So yeah. I do feel like you definitely enjoyed it a lot more if you stick with the order. <laughs> sure. Like I need to, I feel, I mean, I loved the two rom-coms. I just read, don't get me wrong, but they were, they were lacking in, in spice for me. And I think that after I read Detransition Baby, which is a little bit more, has more serious undertones, um, very also excellent, but like definitely different genre, um, more fiction. I think I'm going to be in the mood for something like a little bit spicy and fun. Um, so I'm thinking about that and I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm slapping myself because I'm going on the second leg of my book tour tomorrow. I'm heading to Chicago to the Midwest. And why didn't I think to get, pick these up um, beforehand? Uh, now it's too late. So I'll probably pick something up at the airport because I read pretty quickly and Detransition Baby is not that long. So I'm probably going to finish it on the flight. They <laughs> will probably have Twisted Hate in the airport because I noticed they had a huge section where they had like books. I need, I need the first, I need to get, I want to read the whole thing. Like I am, I'm a series junkie. Like my entire shelf now, my shelves are organized by series. And, and then the, the alternative, I don't know how you feel about reading like an ebook or your like Kindle oh. app, but like you could always get the ebooks first and then get um, the paperbacks when you get a chance. <laughs> I definitely love an ebook. I prefer a paperback. Um, and usually what I'll do is if I'm not sure I'm going to like some things, usually romance, cause I read a lot of romance. I'll read an ebook, ebook, <laughs> ebook form first. And then, um, if I fall in love with the series, I'll order the physical and keep reading in physical. So we'll see. But anyway, I talked about, this is what happens when you bring up books. Um, I just couldn't talk about this forever, but uh, I will say the answer to your other questions are what am I watching? I just started a Gilmore Girls rewatch because um, I wanted to feel cozy fall vibes. And um, I'm honestly disturbed by how I'm relating way more to Lorelai's character than Rory's because I'm just so much older now and closer in age to Lorelai. And all of her love interests are looking hotter to me than Rory's and I'm like god this is what it means to get old is, you know you stop empathizing with the high school character and start empathizing with the mom um but I'm enjoying that and then I am watching House of the Dragon with my fiance and I so far I'm enjoying it but um I know that it's about to take a very dark twisted turn and um don't know if I'm ready to watch more violence especially any sexual violence um, against women. So we will stay tuned how that goes. 
And um, finally, uh, listening. Uh, another great question. I am always listening to Taylor Swift, Gracie Abrams, um, Regina Spector, Lord, Vanessa Carlton, Olivia Rodrigo. I love like I love singer songwriter girlies. They're my bread and butter, especially sad songs by singer songwriter girlies. The perfect vibe for fall. So I've been getting to that. Oh, and then Phoebe Bridgers always. Phoebe Bridgers is my the second it becomes September, an alarm signals in my head that's like open your windows and listen to Phoebe Bridgers on your speaker. So that's what I'll be doing all fall. <laughs> I love that. I actually recently just finished my Gilmore Girls rewatch. Ah! I usually do it like in the summer. So it goes into fall. <laughs> I love that. Um, so it's like end of August into September. And then I have House of the Dragon on my to-watch list. I've heard a lot of good things about it, but also heard that it's very heavy on the, like, violence. So I'm like, I'll give it a few episodes. If I'm not feeling it, we'll see. <laughs> I mean, it's, it definitely scratches an itch if you, if you enjoy Game of Thrones. There just isn't a, like, high-level, well-produced fantasy series like it on television right now. Um, but the entire time I was like, oh, there's so many good like fantasy series that I need to see adapted with HBO money. Like that's all I kept thinking when I was watching it. <laughs> Do you have any upcoming bookish related projects that you are able to tease? Um, I can't say too much about my next big bookish project. All all I can say is there is something coming. Um and the second that I can tell everyone about it, I will. So if I were you, I would follow me on Instagram, add me on Goodreads, and subscribe to my newsletter, Cherry Picked, because they're going to get all the news from me first. So if you have any interest in reading more from me, I check out those three platforms, Goodreads, Instagram, and Cherry Picked, my newsletter. It's free to subscribe. Can you give us a hint about where it might be set? Yes. Um, so it is another novel set in the same New York um, as Nora's, but a different borough and part of the city. And it is um, another Middle Eastern um, protagonist, but from a different part of the Middle East. and. Um, what else can I tease? And it's fucking hilarious. Like, I think it's funnier than the first one. Um, the plot is more absurd than the first one. Um, and it is also a cultural commentary, similarly to how 100 Other Girls was, but it comments on a different part of the culture. So if you, if you liked 100 Other Girls, all the best parts of that book are amplified in this one. Um, and I'm very excited for, I'm very excited for people to read this one because I, I honestly, like, I just, I just think it's much better and my writing has gotten stronger and I love these characters. Um, so I don't know. I like, if, if you um, have read a hundred other girls or you're someone who enjoys um, sort of like easy but smart reads um, that are like funny and salacious, I think you'll love this. Um, 
besides that, I stay writing. Um, I've been doing a ton of freelance writing. Um, uh, interview I just did for Bustle went live today. I've got a few more features planned for the next month. So um, again, I'd say follow me on Instagram because I share all of my newsletter essays, all of my freelance writing stories, and all my bookish updates on there. Perfect. And if you... Your book was to be adapted into a show or a movie. Which one would you pick? Definitely TV show. Um, this is like a huge dream of mine. And I would love um, to see 100 Other Girls on screen because I feel like it's so visually, it's so it's such a visual book. Um, you can really picture uh, events unfolding as they do. And I think a TV show makes a lot more sense because um, I think that, some of the secondary and side characters in this book are so unbelievably like, I think that they're so complex and interesting. And I would love, my dream would be a show that follows the entire plot of 100 Other Girls, but maybe every episode is told from a different character's perspective, almost similarly to how Euphoria starts from a perspective of a different character, but continues a through line plot, but obviously more with like a, a fun like light tone so um maybe like the tone of like I don't know what's a what's a fun show like in the Emily in Paris but I hate that show it's not that show but you know like the like a fun easy to watch tone like a, like gossip a Gilmore girl. Girls yeah like a Gilmore Girls, girls but, like, <laughs> but I would love to watch the events of this book from Layla Loretta you know Jade, Saffron, Cal's perspective. Like, I would love to follow different characters as they sort of navigate what's going on in final. Okay. Last one. Isla, oh my guests, name their episodes, or if you prefer, I can name it instead. Do you have any suggestions? Oh my gosh. Um, I don't know. The pure chaos. I, I'll let you pick. You're so right. It needs to be about the book. That. Or on the other hand, it could also have to do with, like, Nora in general and, like, her mm-hmm. personality. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A vinyl recording. A vinyl podcast recording. Get it? Like, vinyl records. <laughs> like, playing on vinyl. Oh, we're going to pop into Raise Your Words Rapid Fire Round. I will basically ask you a question, and you can say whatever comes to mind first. So the first one is, are you a plotter, a pantser, or a planter, which is both? I'm a plotter, for sure. <laughs> so in the summer I turned pretty, would you say that you are Team Jeremiah, Team Conrad, or Team Cameron? Oh, shit. Oh. In the show or the book? You can say both. Um, mm, okay, Team Conrad, but they're both toxic. Team Team Belly, because both, both boys fuck up too much sorry can I curse I'm like yeah you can okay <laughs> team Conrad with a caveat <laughs> do you prefer paperbacks ebooks or audiobooks paperbacks for sure same <laughs> do you okay so is your favorite city besides New York Paris um I love Paris I romanticize the living hell Okay. Thank you so much for coming on the potty man. It was so great to have you and to finally talk to you about a hundred other girls. I feel like I've read your very early draft on Met Galley when it was out. And so it was great to kind of see this journey. Um, 
And listeners can find you on Instagram at Iman Harika Kia. Um, and that's on all platforms, right? Yes, you can find me at Iman Harikia on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, please DM me. Um, let's talk. I, I'm sure. I mean, Imani can tell you, like, I genuinely like to be friends. I'm very, I'm very accessible and available. I am very much a regular person. So if you ever want to give me your thoughts or ask me any questions, I am available to you on those platforms. Um, subscribe to Cherry Picked, big news coming. And a huge thank you to you for just championing this book from the very first draft, uh, for inviting me to come and rant for 20 minutes at a time. And I really, really appreciate you giving me this platform. Anytime. Don't forget to grab your copy of 100 Other Girls by Mon wherever you buy books. And if you like today's episode, don't forget to rate us wherever you're tuning in from. You can find Raise Your Words podcast on Instagram at Raise Your Words Pod and stay tuned for more. Thank you for tuning in to today's Raise Your Words podcast episode. If you like this episode or this kind of content, make sure to stay updated on the Raise Your Words Instagram page. So that's at Raise Your Words Pod, at Raise Your Words Pod. Stay tuned for more.